Good afternoon, and the Lord bless you again. I uh, use this one song, Transparency, just to adjust my overhead. But uh, it's one of my favorite songs, and I love hearing you folks sing. And I know you can't read the writing because it's too small, but could you sing it anyway? At least a stanza or so. My father planned it all, and I love the words in the chorus you might notice when we get there. Do, so, do, mi, do, what though the way below lay in dark the shadows fall, I know where, where it leadeth, my father planned it all. I sing through the shade and the sunshine. I'll trust him whatever befall. I sing for I cannot be silent. My father planned it all. Let's stand. Last stanza yet. A day of light and gladness on which no shade will fall tis this at last awaits me my father planned it all I sing through the shade and the sunshine I'll trust him whatever befall I sing for I cannot be silent my father planned it Oh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your divine hand in our lives. We are undeserving that you pay so much attention to each of us individually when there are so many to look after, but you do it. And we bless you for it. And we pray, just be with us this afternoon and meet my need and meet our needs. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's say this together, shall we? For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I hope you still remember those words. Form and content must be in harmony. Well, part two, is music itself a moral issue? Now, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Zephaniah 3, chapter 3. It is in the book. It's hard to find, but it's there. Somebody has legitimately asked the question... Does God sing? 
And we've been using the character of God as a clue to the nature of our music. And it's a fair question. Does God sing? Well, let's take a look. Isaiah, I mean Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments, he hath cast out thine enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not into Zion, let not thy hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. We have a singing God. And his theme seems to be unusual to me. Because God can only glorify and honor himself. But his singing is over us. I don't quite get that. But I remember Philip Bliss used to sing. I want to give you a section on hymn history the last session Thursday afternoon. But I know Philip Bliss was a real, hit a real heart. We've sung some of his songs here uh, just yesterday and today, yesterday or today. He had a real burden for souls. And he knew the scripture in Luke that says that there's joy in heaven over every sinner that repents. And he says, it is my intention to keep heaven busy rejoicing. To keep them singing. To keep them delighted. God will joy over thee with singing. And I think it is totally legitimate that when we begin to think, what is the right and wrong in music? And that's, this is the ethical question we have. And ethics is simply a study of right and wrong. And tomorrow's session, we will be zeroing in on the casual music of our time in Christian circles. That's tomorrow morning's subject. This afternoon, we would like to just finish looking at God's character. We've looked at that mostly, how it relates to our character. But before we go on with that, I'm going to intercept it with the three elements that we humans have, because we are going to look at the human character and human expression. And then we want to look at the three corresponding elements of music. And for some, I think this helps open up the understanding of what is right and wrong music. And whether music itself is a moral issue. In order to do that, we go back a good number of years. When we used to go to DuPont Circle... DuPont Circle is a hippie center, was a hippie center back when I lived in Washington, D.C. many, many years ago. And on Sunday nights, we would go there and we'd sing. And we'd pass out tracks. And we'd talk to the hippies. And if you don't know what a hippie is, it's a person who takes their retirement at 20 or 18 and does it uh, using marijuana, for one thing. I, would, I remember one hippie, a smoky, and I was uh, attended, not as a guest, but uh, I kind of came on it un unawares. And they were up in the trees, 
the hippies were, they were these, they're people, by the way. And um, they were up in the trees. They did not descend from monkeys either. They were up in the trees, and they had cigar boxes with marijuana, and they would throw it out over the crowd, free marijuana. They offered it to me, and I felt like I was too close. The, the police came and dispersed it with tear gas, and uh, I got out of there before I got a dose of it. Only later that evening, I did get a dose of it because I was too close. And I was observing uh, a little too much of what was going on that day. It happened to be July 4th. It was on America Day, and the hippies were determined that America will not be honored. And you and I know that our citizenship is not here, but we are respectful people to our country. We are still respectful. And I watched them as they would jump up on tables, the concession stands, and they would demand first the food behind it, free, of course, because they were retired. And so they demanded the food free. When they didn't give it, they would jump in behind the table and they would take the pressurized Pepsi cans, the pressurized root beer, sodas, the Sprite, whatever they had, and they would turn it open and they would just baptize all the hippies they could. And it was just and in the evening when they gathered, there was, I think, 350,000 people that gathered that evening. I was in the middle of them. I could not get away. I shouldn't have been. I, but I learned a lot that day. I saw the ice cream trucks who were trying to sell everything they could to the crowd that was gathering. Is going to be, that's their windfall day. But it was a different kind of fall for them because the hippies would go alongside the side open doors and demand the ice cream. Give me the ice cream. Give me the ice cream. We're not paying for it. It belongs to us. We're hippies. We're free people. We don't have to work. You give it to us. And then they began to rock the trucks. And they would rock them. And the ice cream would come flying out. When they didn't come flying out fast enough, they rocked the truck so hard they tipped it, over, tipped it over on the side. One driver managed to get into the driver's seat quick enough and started up quick enough. And he gunned it. He just pushed down on the accelerator and tore through it. And there was a scattering of hippies because they did respect their arrival. Now, these are the people who then go down to DuPont Circle in northwest Washington, and they sit around, and they talk, and they smoke marijuana, and they, they are the love people, the San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury people, the flower children, drive the VW bugs, the VW uh, station wagons, or mini wagons, minivans, they call them, I think, and uh, had pictures of flowers and free love and all kinds of things written on the side, and we're passing out tracts to them, and we're trying to win them. There's five of them sitting in one circle, right by the fountain in the middle of the park. And the, the lady I was offering it to said, I'm an atheist. Well, I said, that tells me something interesting about you. And I, I kept on trying to give her the tract. <laughs> she said, but I'm an atheist. Well, she needed it, so why shouldn't she just go ahead and take it? And... Uh, I said, well, that tells me something very interesting about you. She said, you don't know me. No, I don't, but I know something very interesting about you. She said, what do you know? I said, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. I learned something. Hippies have curiosity just like other humans. <laughs> and so I said, uh, no, I can't tell you. I don't think I should tell you if you're an atheist and the others here. 
And the other four chimed in. They said, we're atheists too. Now tell us. Okay. I said, no. I don't think I want to tell you. I looked at the one boy. His hair was down to his shoulders. That wasn't what struck me the most. What struck me the most was his eyes. Because often people's eyes are kind of a window to their soul. And his eyes were all cloudy. His eyes told me that he'd been involved in every kind of sin and found it unsatisfying. And yet, he too was boasting he was an atheist. I said, sir, if you want to know what I know about you, meet me a week from tonight here at DuPont Circle and I'll tell you. And with that, I walked away. And as I walked away, they called out after me, And they said, sir, suppose something would happen to us this week. And I said, I looked back at them in mock surprise. I said, no problem, you're atheists. And I walked away. Sometimes people have to have time to digest something. And the following Sunday night, I was back. I know it doesn't sound very nice. But the following Sunday night, I was back, and that boy was there. And I walked up to him, and I said, did you want to talk? He said, yes. He had another fellow with him. I said, I will. If you separate, I want to talk to you alone. It took 20 minutes to separate those two fellows. And then finally, he left, and I could talk to him alone. One of the first things I did, I asked him, were your father and mother Christians? And he said, (laughs) yeah, they were Christians, all right. Okay, I heard his words, but I also heard his sound. You get the irony? It's not the same. He's not communicating the same message. I knew what he was telling me. What he was telling me is that my parents were such wonderful Christians that if nothing happened to come in their way in some way or another, they went to church every single Eastern Christmas. That's all. I could tell by the tone of his voice That his parents were the kind who were pursuing the American dream. And that dream had left him out. Except maybe to make a house for him. And to make sure he has plenty. And he's dissatisfied with it. And he became, he joined the hippie group. Early retirement. It's tragic. I said, sir, did you know God? Did you ever go to Sunday school yourself? Well, yeah, he said, I did. You did. I happen to have a piece of paper there. And it wasn't that this was all meditated, but I, it was kind of unique because it was like the Lord gave me some ideas. You don't know what to say to a person like that. I said, were you aware that there's a God in heaven? Did you know there was a God? And he said, I was. I said, that's very interesting. Because that awareness of God took place in your spirit. God gave you a spirit. In fact, sir, there are some more parts to you. There's another part to you. It's called the soul. And whether he understood it or not, that's kind of the seat of the mind, the will, the emotions. And I said, sir, there's another part to you. Now, this part was real obvious to me, but I didn't make an issue of it to him. That was his body. 
That was by far the most obvious part to me. I said, sir, tell me some things about your young days when you were growing up. You say you went to Sunday school and you were aware of God. I said, that awareness took place right there in your spirit. I said, tell me, tell me. Oh, <laughs> he said, I had a girlfriend. Well, so then I tried to draw a complimentary stick figure of him on this side. And then over here, we're going to put his girlfriend. I said, did you talk to her about God? Well, no. You mean there was, that was not part of your, no. I said, did you like her personality? And that's usually attraction there. Yeah. What'd you do when you were together? He stopped. He said, I'm not telling you. No, I said, tell me. He said, I'm not. Yes, you are, I said. You tell me what you did when you were together. Finally, he told me. Wasn't good. Well, I said, sir, can you tell me something else? What else did you experience when you were growing up? Oh, he said, uh, I had another girl. Different one. Okay, now I knew that this boy early on knew what heartache was. Because there was an attraction to this girl and the being together, but now it was broken off. So he went looking for someone else. Someone else that was a girl. So I said, uh, well, when you were with her then, did you talk about God and discuss God and spend time together? Of course not. I mean, he looked at me as though, what do you think? Did you like her personality? Well, yeah. I said, what would you do when you were together? He said, sir, I am not telling you. I said, well, sir, you are telling me. What did you do when you were together? Well, it was obvious to me that something's going on in this boy's experience. I said, well, sir, tell me, tell me something else that you experienced growing up. Uh, he said, I had another girl. You had another one? Yeah. Did you discuss God with her and spend time thinking about God? No. Did you like her personality? Yes. Did you, uh, I don't remember all the exact words. What did you do when you were together? Oh, he said, same as before. Really? I said, sir, that's pretty significant. Huh? I'll have to admit it is. Um, what else can you tell me about your growing up years? I oh, he said, I had another girl. Now, when he has, when he's starting to trust that many different people, and he has all these experiences, and it, and it was the same thing as before. And I said, "Sir, how many different girls do you have?" He said, "More than I can count my two hands." I said, "Sir, from what you're explaining to me and what I understand about human makeup, I said." 
you are no longer taking care of your spirit. But you sure are feeding something else. I don't know if he remembered from Sunday school day that there is such a book as the book of Romans. And Romans has a chapter 1. But in chapter 1, there's, it says there's a point when God will reach down and he'll give a person up to a reprobate mind. And I said, and I did that for him. I crossed that spirit of God awareness out. I crossed it out and I said, sir, you have lived here so much and you fed this so much that something tragic has happened to you. There's something you need to understand. It's a very simple truth. What you feed grows. It's terribly simple. But that truth has a corresponding element to it as well. Not only what you feed grows, but what you starve dies. And so you starved your awareness of God through your immorality and the lifestyle that you lived. You call it free love and you just thought it was wonderful to be a hippie like that. But you, I'm not surprised that you're an atheist. You have starved your awareness of God. As that soaked in, I watched the boy begin to shake. His face began to quiver. And, and his arms shook and his face quivered. And I said, bless God. Because God in his mercy was reaching down underneath this X and lifting it up and letting a little bit of awareness come back into his life. And I thought, right here's the time for me to explain to him that there is a cross. And on that cross, there was bloodshed. So much that it covers everything. To be all forgiven. As I was getting ready to explain this to him, he jumped to his feet. He said, sir... It's been nice talking to you. And he disappeared across the park. I saw him go and I never saw him since. I shared this story in a, in a, in a church near Rome, Pennsylvania. And after the service, a fellow worked himself into the center aisle as I was going back. And he said, I was a hippie. Now, I don't know who that hippie was you talked to. But I tell you, I was a hippie, and I am here. I'm becoming a member of the Mennonite church, and the Lord found me, and the Lord can find that hippie too. I think what we ought to do is pray for him. And since hippies were very unconventional, he said, right now. So he grabbed a pastor, and the three of us stood right there in the center aisle while everybody is visiting away, and we began to pray for this hippie. Well, I hadn't prayed for him in a long time. And there was something kind of exhilarating about that experience that night. He was right. Because God doesn't give up on people. And so we, don't, we shouldn't give up on it either. 
Moses was willing to even exchange his own life for the life of his people because he cared for them so deeply. Now that's the three elements of man. How about the three elements of music? Well, we have the element of melody. That's powerful element. Scripture even speaks of it. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Da, 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 da. I can stop there and you can tell me already the words to that melody. I didn't sing a word, did I? <laughs> Not a legitimate word. Why? You know it. Why do you know it? Because for years already, the melody of what a friend we have in Jesus has been driven into your life and experience through the melody has done that and put that inside you. And the spirit, the melody of music is such a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. I Sometimes I heard you as a chorus just singing the melody. And when it's just the sopranos, forgive me, fellas, but when it's just the sopranos, it's especially beautiful. There's just something there. Sometimes when you have a rich experience with the Lord and you're by yourself, how does it come? Do you sing your usual bass part? No. Your usual tenor part? No. You sing the melody. Because the melody best expresses what you're experiencing inside. Then there's a second part. And it's a beautiful part. <laughs> and I'm very pleased how well you're doing with this one as a chorus. Harmony. Harmony has a way of beautifying the melody. See, our emotions and our will and our mind, it also needs to be fed. It also needs to have a blessing. And when you have beautiful harmony like we have in the chorus we have right here, bless God. But suppose we'd say, well, let's make it just harmony. Let's really go for the harmony. And we're not going to have any melody. We're not going to have any soprano singing. We're just going to sing alto, tenor, and bass. Supper, please, quick. <laughs> it won't sound good. It won't feel right. There's no direction there. There's nothing there to meet the spirit. We have to have the melody. There's a third element. And that's the element of rhythm. You say, really? <laughs> Surprised you think that one's important. Is it important? Well, suppose, suppose we just kind of do without our rhythm for a little bit here. Let's say just five minutes. I mean, if you're breathing air right now, you're breathing that with a rhythm. You're, you're inhaling, you're exhaling with a rhythm. If your heart is pumping, it's pumping it through your system with a rhythm. And if any of your dinner is still around, probably isn't, but if any of it were around, it's being digested with a rhythm. In fact, when you swallowed it, you swallowed it with a rhythm. And the parasolic motion will see to it that when you're sick, it comes up with a rhythm and you don't even think about it. But it does. Your whole nervous system is bathed 
The cerebrospinal fluid bathes your entire nervous system, and that whole nervous system pulsates with a rhythm. Folks, we are very rhythmic beings. But just suppose that we have rhythm like this, and we have music like this, and it's mostly rhythm. Have you seen any of it around in America? Boom, 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 boom. You wonder what is going on. The car was six cars ahead of us on the streets of Baltimore. Our sons had just gotten cochlear implants, two of them, on the same day at Johns Hopkins Hospital. We were sleeping at the Ronald McDonald House because it's a cheap place for, for Mennonites to sleep. <laughs> and so <laughs> we were on our way over. There was a one-way street, three lanes wide. And this car, and I heard this boom, 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 boom. And I, and I looked through all the windshields and, and back windows for about six vehicles. We were the third, sixth one back or so from the stoplight. And it was three lanes wide, but I could tell which one was coming from me. You know why? Because the one in our lane, the fellow was ricocheting. He was going back and forth, like back and forth. He was at the steering wheel. And when the light turned green, he was responsible for the movement of that car. It looked to me like he ought to go back where we just come from. <laughs> you see, rhythm's powerful. The law of sympathetic vibration says that we are bodies affected by rhythms. You don't have to tell a two-year-old, a three-year-old, oh, they say, well, I'm not going to jump to this because it has Christian words to it. So they, they, they just, our, our two-year-olds and three-year-olds, they're so intelligent and so spiritual, they know not to jump to it because it has Christian words to it. I was in speaking in Western Romania on this subject, and there, if they have a question, instead of patiently waiting till the sessions are through like you are, um, they, they write it on a paper, and they send it forward, and it, goes, it gets translated to English, and it lands in front of you. And here's the question. It was in Arad, Romania, they, and there was a big crowd there that day, 800 people, and they said, uh, what do you think about drums in public worship? Oh, no. Because over there to my left was a drum. Nobody beat on it all day. But it was so big that my wife and I couldn't have touched hands around it if we tried. It was so big. And what am I supposed to say? Because it's in church. And so I said, uh, you'll be disappointed, I know. In fact, it was the evening service when this happened. And they had 300 more people there in the evening service. There was 1,100 people there. That church had 60 families with 10 children or more. They had 17 choirs in that church. And they had lots of, they had all different ages. And they had lots of instruments around, but they never used them all day. Interesting. And now I'm supposed to answer to these people, what about the drums over there? And I said, well, I think it's probably, I know you'll be disappointed, but I told them, I think it's probably all right to have drums in church if you need the seating capacity. Because they looked to me like you could put about seven people on that drum. <laughs> and everything was so packed. I said, furthermore, I think maybe it's all right. I was stretching a little bit because I don't like the appearance of evil. That's the Bible talks about that. But I said, if it's not heard, maybe it's all right. But then I asked him another question. I said, how much melody do you get out of a drum? 
So you boom, 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 boom. That's amazing grace, how sweet the sound, isn't it? No, there's no way you could tell. There's no melody that's going to come out of that at all. Oh, I'm going to do some alto drumming now. No, you can't do that either. So what are you going to do? What do, what do, what do the drums do? Beat. Rhythm. The law of sympathetic vibration is what the Indonesians used to hunt apes. They didn't have guns and rifles and 22s and 410s and 243s and 270s and 280s. They didn't have that to hunt. They just had, they took their drum. Went over under a tree where there's an ape. They ate ape, by the way. They went over under the tree and they just beat away on that drum a certain rhythm and that ape would just be hypnotized and fall right out of the tree. <laughs> they caught him and ate him. Now, God forbid we have no ancestry connections here. <laughs> I hope you understand that. But what I am saying is the animal world is, is affected by rhythms and the human world is affected by rhythms, strongly affected by them. And that's why it is so important that rhythm has this balance. It has to be there. You don't have music, but it has to be held in strict control. And if it's not held in strict control, then you must remember what you feed grows and what you starve dies. Some time ago, I heard a precious hymn being sung that has been sung at some very, very meaningful times and the people singing it were clapping with it. Now let me ask you, were they melody clapping to it? No, 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 it was tenor clapping. They were tenor clapping to it. No, you know very well they weren't. Clapping with your singing is rhythm. We've got enough rhythm already. We don't need more. The law of sympathetic vibration, maybe I have to illustrate it further. Uh, see. We used to, we had mashed potatoes for lunch today, didn't we? It seems to me we did. At least I appreciate that. See, what do we do? Well, just for at home, two huge potatoes. Russet, whichever kind you want. Uh, let me see, what else do you take? Two pints of cream, I guess. I think I see my wife putting something white in it. See. Uh, but it would have no dimension so far. Two boxes of salt. You serve that at your next fellowship dinner and people will be gagging. <laughs> It'll be a horrible experience. I share this only for illustration purposes. And so, oh, that's a mistake. No compliments coming that way. So we're going to take three potatoes. We're going to use one and a fourth pint of cream. Balance it out a little better. A lot better. And we're really, 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 really going to change this. We're going to use a three-fourth box of salt. 
Wonderful, wonderful potatoes. Contemporary Christian mashed potatoes. <laughs> Folks, you are going to gag on that as well. I'm talking from the standpoint of what's going to do to your spirit. You're going to gag on it as well. Here's a little nicer drawing than the one that I was using. That's the law of sympathetic vibration. And folks, I shared this in Oregon one time. And a young married man from Ohio came to me. And he said, what you've just said is the most important thing that you're going to say all weekend. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. We're, we can have an imbalance like this where we have music that embraces a lot of rhythm and a lot of syncopation. That We can have that kind of music. It's very, very common in evangelical circles today. Tomorrow morning, I want to share an illustration of what happened close to Craig, Colorado. It's very, it's very, very common today in evangelical circles. However, let me ask you, do you see the people's spirits in evangelical circles today being soft toward God and the doctrines of the Bible are being obeyed to the T? Or do you see something different? Do you see a neo-Christianity? Do you want to join them? No. Are we opposed to rhythm? No. There's not a morgue in Johnson County that is big enough to handle the crowd if we all be without rhythm for five minutes. No, we have to have rhythm. But rhythm in our human body is a clue how it must be. It's held in strict control. If the rhythm in your bodies would become so strong right now that you would have to grip the pew you're sitting on so you don't go flying out of it, then we'd know you'd be terribly sick. And there's no ER in this community either that'd be big enough to handle the crowd. Rhythm has to be held in strict control. There are other marks of this wrong music. It has heavy pulsation has a constant tension-building repetition. Same thing over and over and over and over again. I, we, use, we use repetition in the classroom all the time. But it's not supposed to be tension-building. It's supposed to be instructional repetition. Somebody said it this way. The child comes home from school, didn't make their bed in the morning, so mama says to them, Make the bed, 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 make the bed. It does it for a whole hour when that fifth grade girl comes in the sidewalk. Now, is that instructional or is that tension building? And yet, you're supposed to have CCM music, Christian music, that can have piles and piles of repetition in it, and it's supposed to bless people's spirit. How can it? And then we have the syncopation and I'm not saying syncopation is wrong our normal rhythms that we sing most often is a one two three four one two three four but rock is based on syncopation one two three four one two three four one two three four 
And then they put break beats in between, which gives you the unaccented syllable gets the accent. That's not normal to us. And that's going to elicit an even stronger physical response. Now, we better finish what we started. What kind of music does God want from us? What kind of belief and value system should be true of our experience? I'd like to give you five principles, and I'm going to give you them very quickly before I even finish this. And the five principles are just to help me save time for tomorrow morning because I need twice as much time for tomorrow morning sessions as what I have, and I don't want anybody giving any more. But I want to give you these five principles right now. If you, what, these five principles help you understand what needs to be in our spirit, in our heart. How, what is the right belief and value system for us to have to discern if the music is right music, if the music is in balance? There are five very simple principles. H.T. Spence, I met him at the, the college this summer, had a chance to talk with him personally. So I spent about an hour and a quarter, hour and a half, three quarter with him. And these are some of the things he pointed out, not in that session, but in his book. And I hope to make some of those books available here before the weekend is over. To discern rightly, to decide is, and we know, we, we should know by now that music is a moral issue. But what needs to be in that heart of ours, the content has to be the new birth. If you're still carnal, how are you going to ever determine the right kind of music? We need the new birth. We need to believe in the authority of the scripture. And the Bible is very clear on these things. Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Makes it very clear. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. We have to believe in the Bible. That has to be part of our belief system. We have to have a daily relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's here for a purpose. And the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen, the Bible says. I was in New York City for street meetings years ago with Eli Utsi from Loman, Minnesota. A few of you may have known him. A few of you older ones. I slept in the same YMCA dorm for him. I heard him mutter something before he crawled out of bed in the morning when we woke up. And I, I don't know if I asked him about it or if he just volunteered it. He said, I always ask the Holy Spirit to fill me before my feet touch the floor. You should have seen him preaching on 42nd Street and pointing at that row of what he called the hell holes of New York City, all those theaters on Times Square. And people stopped and listened. And we had the joy of right on 42nd Avenue to kneel on the sidewalk and pray with people who came back to God. The Holy Spirit. We have to believe in biblical separation. And there's a lot of mockery about separation these days. But it doesn't take long for somebody once they die to find out about separation. Bible says, come out from among them, be separate. 
And it's ironic that people think that involves all areas of life except music. There's no separation needed in music, but just other areas of life we try to be separate. Last one's the toughest one for some. Because they do believe the Bible. They are born again. They do have a daily relationship with the Holy Spirit. And they do believe in at least some element of separation. But now, you'll never be able to discern correctly the right kind of music and whether music's a moral issue or not unless you have victory over pride. It's the basic element. There's so many scriptures. We have to be willing to acknowledge truth when we encounter it. One girl was offered a certain CD that had some instructions on music. She refused it. She was asked, why, do, why aren't you accepting this? She said, because I'm afraid if I listen to it, then I won't feel good about the music I'm listening to now. So she didn't want to have it. I know some boys who refused to come to a service like this. They had an accident. The one boy got hurt. The other boy came the following nights. Why? Victory over pride. Andrew Murray puts it so well when he says this. What is humility? And folks, I don't know. Humility is very beautiful in senior citizens and in adults. But humility in young people is powerful. It's one of the most powerful tools you'll carry with you. People don't know how to handle youthful humility hardly. Why is it that when we're on the streets of New York City and we're passing out tracks, that it's the younger children who pass out the most CDs and tracks? It's their innocence. It's their humility. It's their childishness people can't turn it down they're wonderful little missionaries humility Andrew Murray says is the perfect quietness of heart it is to expect nothing to wonder at nothing that is done to me to feel nothing done against me peer pressure it is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I'm blamed or despised it is to have a sanctuary what well, he calls it a blessed home in the Lord, where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. God, help me to have this. Now, you put that in your belief and value system. All those things is part of your heart, part of your spirit, part of your belief and value system. What do you think is going to be the nature of your expressions? <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Well, one of the, we can't really see the human heart, but we sure can see what's there by what comes out through human expressions. Just like we can't see God, but we can see what's there by God's expressions. And one of the primary ones is talking. People talk, don't they? A lot. Some more than others. I was told 
I think that American women, well, men, let's start there. 12,000 words a day. That's a lot of words to come from our belief and value system. I'm told the average American woman speaks between 28 and 40,000 words a day. See a few smiles. <laughs> One woman came to me afterwards and said, You know why that's true? No. She said, The men say, Huh, all the time. <laughs> I said, I think you're right. I think you're right. We could say, if we would listen, if we'd be better listeners, fellows over here, they wouldn't have to talk as much and we'd still get the message. What does the Bible say about talking? Is talking a moral issue? That's the question. We're going to look at these couple, the next 12 minutes here, we'd like to look at these couple human expressions and ask ourselves, I think the perfect place to go is to the Bible. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 34. Matthew 12, 34. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Is talking a moral issue? My wife's brother was a missionary to New Guinea and helped bring a whole tribe to the Lord. In time. But when he was five years old, he said, It's not hard to talk. You just open your mouth and the words fly out. That's how easy talking may be. But folks, this scripture says that every idle word out of the 12,000 or more, you must give account thereof. And on Wednesday, you will give account again. And on Thursday, we give account again. He's not finished. Next verse. Verse 37. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Is it a moral issue? Is, are human expressions moral issues? Absolutely. Because he's saying, your words will determine whether you go to heaven or to hell. He has just said that what's in here will determine what your words are, but your words, you're going to be judged according to your words, as well as what's in here. So a student comes in from recess and says to me, somebody said a bad word. What did they say? They won't tell me. Well, I think I need to know if I'm supposed to correct it, take care of it. So they get a piece of paper and they write it down and they hand it to me. Oh, that makes it innocent, right? Well, people do that. They write bad things to their ministers and they don't sign it. They read 
they write things to a youth group, somebody that peeves them like everything, and so they write a bad thing to them and they don't sign it. You think you'll get by? I think this scripture just is real for writing as it is for speaking. It's our writing. That's why it's good if you're going to court each other that you live a thousand miles apart or at least 500. So that you have to write, not just call. Not just to put something in the attic someday. But so that, you, so that there's something that happens when you write. You express yourself. There's something from your belief and value system in your heart that comes out. I know exactly where the box is stored that has my wife's letters in it before we were married. It's been a while since I went through it. But her writing was a strong invitation to godliness. And I was deeply challenged. And I am a stickler. All my students do all their work in cursive with the exception of math. And then their penmanship, all grades through eighth. And I grade them, and they, I see them so meticulous. And I don't tell them, because they're just junior high age people. I don't tell them. But I just think to myself, somebody is going to, if they're that careful when they write their letters about eight years later, somebody won't be able to believe that they could write so nice. And the girls will be very, very impressed. Folks, it's not just about nice writing. It's about what's in the heart coming out. Worship. We live in a day when they say music is amoral. The sound doesn't matter. You can do anything you like. I had a girl like that in my Sunday school class. She went to a healing campaign, and I went there too to see what was going on. And the healing campaign, they had music at that. It was held in a tent. And they had music in that thing that was powerful and strong. And when they gave the invitation, I mean, before they gave the invitation, they, uh, they mentioned how many people get so blessed when they, when they give. Oh, somebody put in $50, got a new refrigerator. You know, they, but they're just giving. And they had all these stories. And, and, and I noticed that the orchestra or the singing group they had kept singing and they kept getting stronger and louder and finally they passed the buckets around. And then the preacher preached. Well, one of the young men that I knew well had gone around the back and watched what they did with those buckets. They opened the evangelist's trunk lid and they dumped the five-gallon buckets into this trunk lid and closed it back up. Meanwhile, he goes on with his loud music and his spiel, his invitation after his sermon. And people begin to respond, including the girl that's in my class. Sunday school class. She had gone to this meeting. She fell on the floor. She got slain in the spirit. Sure she did. And I just waited and waited till the thing was all over. And two other girls, I knew them both, got hold, one got under one shoulder and one got under the other's. And they started walking back to their home. I followed them at a distance. She was so, 
helpless because she had such an encounter with God. Well, God has powerful encounters with people sometimes, but I question whether this is what had happened. And so finally I called her name from just a few feet behind her and I asked her, what happened to you tonight? And suddenly she was off those two girls' shoulders. She whirled around. She stuck her finger at me and she said, don't you mess with the Holy Ghost. No. I had no intention of messing with the Holy Ghost. We had outdoor meetings not far from her home. I lived in the city at the time. We had outdoor meetings not far from her home and she never came once. Except she walked past the alley. And while the preacher was preaching, she walked past the alley and she saw, she knew very well what was going on there. And she began to help our service by singing. Just as I am. Messing up our service. And I was not supposed to mess with the Holy Ghost. Folks, let me assure you that the third member of the Trinity is getting credit for a lot of things he's not responsible for in our day to day. You know by the fruit that that's coming out of a belief and value system that's not true worship. I was in another service. I sat in the back. I had my recorder along because I suspected that this small church is using beat music in their music, in their singing. And I started my recorder when they started singing. And it gets stronger and stronger. And I watched the man playing the piano. And he got so involved. And he was bouncing and bouncing away. And finally, his head started to bounce forward and backward. Forward and backward. It picked up speed. It went faster and faster. And finally, I wondered how those muscles can keep it in location much longer. It was going at such a speed. And then he lost control of himself. And by that time, the whole congregation was up. And they were just moving back and forth, back and forth. And I grew up in the plains of Kansas, and I get car sick pretty easily. And I was watching this thing from behind. And then all at once, somebody else bounced over there, sat on the piano bench, was bouncing up and down, kicked over the guitar in the process, and it was starting to pound on it. I couldn't even hear that person playing because the congregation was that noisy by that time. When I took the sample home, it had all the elements of rock right there. Loud pulsation, syncopation, it was there. But it had been church. More of that tomorrow. Jesus was asked to worship one time and he refused. Source wasn't right. That's why we have to know what the source is for what we're doing. Number four, appearance. You say that's a human expression that tells what the belief and value system is inside of us? When the Beatles came over here, they were so disgusted. They said, in America, they, the, the women have long hair. The men have short hair. We're going to change that. And they verified it. They made it public they're going to change it. And they looked on with satisfaction that they were able to help blur the sexes when they, after they were in America for a while. I don't think any of them would have dreamed that we come to the transgender generation that we live in right now as a result. 
Little decisions you heard will take you over farther and farther and farther away so that now you can decide. Mom and Daddy won't decide. Doctor doesn't decide. You can decide whether you're male or masculine or feminine. You can decide. I collected some things some time ago. I'm going to maybe beg three minutes here. I collected a few things. And the scriptures speak on this. We can talk about 1 Peter 3, 3 to 4. I won't turn there. But our appearance is our personal billboard. That's why we identify you by. That's, that's who you are when we see. We, and it talks. Our appearance, our clothes talk. In some cases, it can swear. It certainly telegraphs values. What the belief and value system is inside. It represents attitudes and definitely represents lifestyles. People can tell. It represents the cultural myths, the lies that people believe today. They follow the fashion world, but it's very, very unsatisfying. In many cases, it defies convention. That's one thing the Beatles were, were clear about. They wanted the convention that's so true here. They wanted to destroy it. They destroyed it beyond their belief, beyond their intention, I think. And so you see purple and green and maybe yellow on the same male head these days. They do it to create outrage. And people dress in our day to emphasize what they're supposed to be covering. Symbolic. We have standards of modesty, but sometimes we miss emphasizing the need to avoid the symbolism that certain combinations bring. It conveys a message. It's a billboard, you see. It certainly exploits the sexual thirst. That's there, and furthermore, it reflects gradualism. Gradual change. I just was taken care of the other day. I think it was at the bank by a lady who wore a ring, and I've seen many of them lately, where our bulls used to wear them. It exposes chromosome confusion. The gender bender reveals character. That may be on the negative side. Let's look at the positive side. When you dress, when you see appearance as a moral issue, and people absolutely, the, the music world, the CCM world does not want to address the music issue. Because they say, we are not as bad as so-and-so. Since when is that our criteria for this comparison with so-and-so group? We're not as bad as they are. We dress to place value on those we meet. And that's why you're modest. <clears throat> that's why you're modest. Because you don't want to be the cause for anything with others of your gender or your gender. You don't want to be the cause of anything but appreciation. Anything but a good testimony. 
anything but delight. Now, there were two others. I'll just open them both up. Actions. The Bible is very clear that we're going to be judged by our works. Our works are a result of our belief and value system. Let me ask you in closing, how could our talking be a moral issue, our writing be a moral issue, our worship be a moral issue, our appearance be a moral issue, our actions be a moral issue, but music isn't a moral issue. By the principle of association, in light of even the other things we've talked about, I hope you can see that music is as much a moral issue as any other human expression. And when you are godlike and follow the characteristics of God, when you have form and content in harmony, then I believe we have here perhaps 150 Christian Christians. God bless you.